Today's show is sponsored by GoCD, a continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. GoCD helps your team release software more frequently, consistently, and reliably. Download and use GoCD for free. Visit gocd.org slash recode. This show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They're part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Essentially, Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash weinvent. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the author of a sequel to Reed Hoffman's Decency Pledge, which I call the Try Not to Be Awful for Like One Day Dudes Pledge. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcast. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted with Reed Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn and general partner at Greylock Partners. He also hosts his own podcast, Masters of Scale. We spoke at the Never Is Now, an event organized by the Anti-Defamation League in San Francisco in mid-November. Let's take a listen. So Reed and I have literally done this 426 times. It's like a little act we have. So we're going to do it here for you today, and we're going to hope you'll get maximum information about what's going on. And it's not like pro wrestling. I'm not going to actually really hit him, but I'm going to hit him pretty hard on some issues because I've been really furious lately (laughs) about Silicon Valley and its lack of responsibility and its tarnishing of the American democratic system. So, uh, (laughs) And that's the kind statement, by the way. (laughs) What have they done? I think I want to start with that. And you and I have talked about this, and Mm. I'm not going to blame you because LinkedIn is not the font of social media cesspool these days. Or ever, actually, not just these days. I do get a lot of emails, but it's just vaguely annoying and not uh, (laughs) ruining ruining of our American system. So let's talk about that because you're sort of seen as the, I don't want to say godfather, but you really are the one people like, everybody likes in Silicon Valley. Um, and nobody likes each other here. So let's talk about the idea of what the responsibility of Silicon Valley is in this system. So I'll, I'm going to break uh, the answer into two parts. Um, the first part is, is a essentially a, a light plea for some understanding and compassion, which is you know, a bunch of the folks who built these systems you know, didn't actually think about hostile attack on them, uh, didn't think about you know what you know Russians might do in order to hack it, you know we're trying in their own minds to figure out well okay how are we as democratic and inclusive as possible and how do we build the alg- algorithms that way so right. I don't think there is any malintent and I think that's an important thing and I know all the folks so I I think I can assert that right. uh, with some vigor. However, as you begin to get big and as you begin to be uh, having a very strong influence, your responsibility, with power comes uh, responsibility, right. with great power comes great responsibility. Right. the Spider-Man. Spider-Man ethos of the yes. Valley. Right, it's actually simple and super important. Yeah. And so um, even if you, if, if you kind of say, well look, uh, lots of things contributed to negative results, Fox mm-hmm. News, et cetera, et cetera, there was a contribution uh, both to uh, the, the kind of malformed uh, political system, the, the turbulence we're having, and also, of course, one of our topics will be, you know, kind of like what internet trolls and, yeah. and, and kind of hate speech. And so I think what's important is to start thinking proactively about what to do. And, um, 
you know, I think that, you know, one could argue that they're doing it a little uh, too slowly, although, um, you know, as long as it's resolute and you're fixing it, I think that's important. I think one of the things that, um, you know, and so people are talking about, well, can AI technology help with this stuff? How do you do multi-standards across multi-countries? Uh, what is the degree to which you can say uh, you should block speech uh, and other things? Uh, one thing I would say as a way of thinking about of adding to this discussion is an idea that I have been kicking around for the last couple of months has been, well, what if you, we could generate a way of saying, look, give us a report along with, you know, whatever reporting, diversity metrics, other kinds of things about what you're trying to do to promote positive speech. Mm -hmm. Like what's the way that you're trying to create these engagement loops as opposed to saying, well, whatever's engaging, that's what we're gonna do. So it's, you know, a burning person falling out of a building. Well, that's what it's all gonna be. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, no, no, how is it you're actually creating uh, positive engagement loops? Right. And what are the things that so you're, you're doing appealing on to people's better natures, it, exactly. presumably. It isn't just uh, block uh, really terrible stuff. It's promote good stuff. Right, I get that. I saw Mark's <laughs> yes. 9,000 word essay on this issue. Um, but <laughs> but <laughs> I stayed up all night reading. Yes. Riveting. Um, but, but let's start, let, let, let us though begin. You said they didn't mean to do it. Let's pick on Facebook because you were there in the early days. And we'll get to the cesspool that is Twitter in a minute. But, um, <laughs> but the early days when this was happening, they didn't mean it. And their things was move fast. Move fast and break, break things. things. Yes. I think they've broken a lot of things. So yes. let's talk about that. What in that ethos didn't anticipate any of human nature? So... Um, so I think, so to be precise, the break things that uh, Mark and other folks were referring to was right. their own code and, uh, sure. and that sort of thing. And part of that's because um, what they realized was that the, the company that was going to be able to uh, set the kind of social network, social media standards in these things was the one that moved fastest to grow. Sure. And it is a nature of the society we live in that has competition between companies, including right. between these tech companies. And so he was articulating a competitive strategy that was essentially uh, how to win, and, and he turned he out to be, be the right. Biggest, right. He'd be the biggest, and right. turned out to be right. But in those early days, was there discussion about where it could lead, or just not at all? Like, well, no. so, um, I mean, to some degree, in the early days in technologists, what it is is a little bit like a Rorschach test. So if you're an optimism, you see optimism. You're pessimism, you see pessimist, and so forth. And, you know, Zuck's an optimist. And so the kinds of things in the early days talking about, it's like, oh, look, if we can connect people and they can share experiences and they can get to know people, not just, you know, like they can have a, a greater neighborhood than the neighborhood they're in or even revivify their neighborhood. All of these things bringing in the human fabric of life of seeing other people as, as people, seeing pictures of them on, mm -hmm. you know, the holiday or with their kids and that kind of stuff. Right. That was the stuff that was, was being discussed. Right. Right. And so it's all the positive use cases. So cat videos till the end. They just yeah, thought that. They, thought, they thought cat videos. Great. You know, right. cause, adds a little joy to your life. Right. But there was nobody in the room that went, ah, skinning a cat videos maybe. Or nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I'm saying, but who was in the room doing it? Was there anybody thinking that? I, I think all. All of that was has been retroactive, right? Right, has been essentially, oh shit, people right. are putting up skinning cat videos. Right, right. We should do something about that, right? Right, right. And a little bit of the reason why I opened the yeah. set of commentary with a look, it's not unreasonable for them to have said, 
well, look, right now we're just little tiny startups starting at colleges, going to locations, and we're trying to you know, weave our way through a place where you know, companies like Google are trying to, 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 and Yahoo at the time, we're trying to build you know, uh, versions and the squashes and so on, we're trying to work our way through that. And so this wasn't, we didn't think this was the top priority. Mm-hmm. But it is equally, of course, important now that we say, look, now that you're, you, know, you have uh, a massive number of, of, of daily active users, I don't know what the current number is, 1.5 billion something. Yeah. Um, now that you have that, you now have responsibility and you need to lean into that and you need to figure out how do you help solve this problem. And I think they, you know, look, uh, people are getting grumpy with them for not having done it more proactively sooner. But I think the fact they are responding to it and I think that speaks to good character. So I want to get to the solutions of that, but I want to talk a little bit about more about that ethos of Silicon Valley because I think it goes hand in glove with this, this, uh, this free speech or two things. One, it, most, it's a lack of diversity in Silicon Valley. Mm. So most of these people never had this happen to them, mm. like essentially, yep. you know, and, and they're surprised by yeah. it. Fair. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm like, my middle name is bitch, so that's what it is <laughs> on social media, you know what I mean, or something <laughs> like that. So women understand it, marginalized groups understand it, uh, people who are subject to anti-Semitic things, everyone gets mm. it except for the people designing it. That's one part. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's one part. And the second part is this free speech m- movement. I want you to talk about each of those. It's like mm-hmm. the lack of diversity. And then also this idea that people should, there is an ethos through Reddit. You always end up arguing with them that people should be able to say what they want. And you argued this early. Let's start with that one when you were, you were giving me a story backstage about being on firing line. So I was uh, reflecting to Kara that my very first substantive television experience was being on William F. Buckley Jr.'s firing line. Um, which was a little strange for those of you who remember it. And the reason I was, um, was because uh, they were hunting around for a technologist who would defend the the thesis that a government uh, can and should regulate some speech online. And I said, well, I'll defend that position, (laughs) right? Um, Because one of the things that I find a lot of people uh, being fairly idiotic about is they don't realize we regulate speech all the time. And the simplest argument is truth in advertising. It's like, well, no, no, actually, in fact, when you say, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hold people accountable for falsities in advertising, that's a regulation of speech. And then the, the real question is, where do you set the line in order to have the broadest possible range for good intellectual and political diversity and discussion? And when does that cross the line for, for, for bad, and, um, bad things? And obviously, for example, speech that incites violence is always uh, considered to be right. uh, you know, beyond the line, too. And, and this particular thing, everyone wanted to argue about regulating obscenity, which is obviously a tar pit and, and one that you should stay out of. But one does regulate speech, and I think one of the, the, the key things about this is to say, well, what are the ways that we can either increment what is the, in the current parlance is terms of service, because these are, we're all private businesses, and you can say, look, well, you know, if, you're, if, if this is your business, you can take your business elsewhere. Uh, that happens in hotels, happens in online stuff, and say, look, articulate something around that, right? Like, like we are actually, in fact, um, uh, you know, this is the way that we articulate our um, uh, kind of opposition to hate speech and hatred. Uh, we enable discussion, but we don't enable essentially oppression uh, or violence, of course, which they all do. But you know, and then you might even change that somewhat because you can uh, when you're huge by country or by country group. Uh, and then the other thing I think uh, is important when you when you look at this stuff is to say. Well, is there, because one of the things I think that the underlying thing that uh, causes some, 
weird navigation for these companies is the DMCA. Because uh, it's super important when you say, look, we're going to create a, a broad medium in which lots and lots of people can participate, which I think can have some great positive outcomes. We need to shape it the right way that you then not need to be uh, easily sued for copyright material that, mm -hmm. that, you know, and that you have a proactive obligation for stopping that copyright material and that kind of thing. And so that's the reason why they all adhere to DMCA very strictly to make that happen. But then you have to make sure that the DMCA gives them some exception to say, well, look, we are doing some, some editorial along, for example, anti-hate speech reasons or that kind of thing and that we could do that. Today's show is sponsored by GoCD, an open-source continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD, your team can release software more frequently, consistently, and reliably. Enjoy advanced traceability by visualizing your complex workflows from end to end. GoCD is open-source and free to use. Professional support and enterprise add-ons are available from ThoughtWorks. For out-of-the-box continuous delivery, visit gocd.org recode. This show is brought to you by Qualcomm, the company that invented the fundamental technology in everything you love about your phone. From download speeds to stunning photos to GPS, none of it would work the way you count on without Qualcomm engineers getting there first. And now the company that changed everything with the smartphone is about to change everything else. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone, no matter what brand of phone it is. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash weinvent. Hey, this is Anna Sale from Death, Sex, and Money, the podcast from WNYC Studios. Our show is all about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. And one of those things is class. Oh boy, class. Right now, we're collecting stories about when you felt your class the most. My friends wanted to go to these expensive restaurants, and it really did drive a wedge. Tell us your story. Email or send in a voice memo to class at deathsexmoney.org. The ethos in the valley, do you think it has shifted? Because, you know, when the Russia thing happened, when this recent Russia thing happened, I don't think you're surprised and neither am I because they let other things go. You know, the bullying went on forever. The, the, the hate speech went on and on and on. The abuse of the platforms by the alt-right went on and on and on. And, and really abuse. And just backstage, we were, I was showing um, Jonathan, when you search for ADL on YouTube, you get white supremacist stuff, the first 10, and you finally get Jonathan on MSNBC at number 10, yeah. right? You don't get anything about ADL yeah. at all, which was, like, and I know this sounds crazy, but YouTube is owned by this big company called Google yes. that is really good at search. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I hear. The thing is, when we went over to Google, as you noticed, <laughs> and you searched ADL, all the correct things came up. Yes. ADL, it didn't, you didn't get, you didn't even see it. I didn't even find uh, white supremacist stuff right away. So same thing, if you do it on Twitter, if you do ADL, yep. white supremacist. Facebook, I have not done that one yet. But I'm yep. just saying, this is this idea of not messing with what's happening on the system. So, um, and I think, I think that's changing, hopefully changing fast and aggressively enough. I do think that your earlier thing, which is the fact that the people who are building this, you know, many of the people who argue that Silicon Valley is a pure meritocracy, haven't actually ex uh, experienced the, like myself, I have not experienced the kind of things that you can end up with in, uh, you know, hate speech and minority pressure. That's great. I'm delighted. Um, and so, and I think that's part of it. Now, that's again part of the reason when I was thinking about, you know, what are the kinds of things that's important for the industry to do? Right. It was like, well, actually, in fact, if uh, to, to show a serious commitment, 
should be the kind of same thing that we're doing with like diversity hiring, which is to say, here's our published report, here's the things that we're saying, here's the things that we're doing. I don't think the things we're doing should simply be, oh, we blocked X thousand pieces of bad content. Right. Great, that's fine. But also, what are you doing proactively? What are you doing to try to create you know, kind of a, a more compassion, more interaction, more mutual understanding, that kind of thing. Right. And what are the things? And I actually think creating a, a kind of a simple report structure that could then be part of how companies report is actually, I think, a one of the things that, with the idea. numbers. It's a re- yes, absolutely. One of the things with the numbers, though, they often like I had got something from Twitter. We block this many, two hundred fifty thousand this or whatever. And I'm like, what's the goal? What's the so, yeah. and what does that mean? Where does it fit in a system? It doesn't, and when you get to that, they're like, oh, we blocked them. I'm like, yeah, but what's the goal? Like, where's the actual metrics that they want to get to, and what is the goal to do it? And so, how do you, when they do these things, like you had something which I have, have a problem with you with, with the decency pledge. Hmm. Like, I think it's a great, nice thing to do, but it's not, like... Well, it's a first step. I know, but to say we should be decent should yes, be sort I, of... Well, it's the first step. Right, I get it. <laughs> having, having to... It, it often becomes mutually exclusive where it's... We want to promote happy speech, like good yeah. speech, because it's better for our businesses, it's better for humanity, everything else. But it's always mutually exclusive, so why not stop? Like, let's talk about solutions to just stop this speech. Mm. And, just, and, and where do the companies take a stand on it? They, they seem to not want to. Like to be the arbiters of certain things, and maybe they have to. Maybe it's because they they're in charge. Really. Well, so part of the um, I think there's a couple of parts of challenge. So look, there's EVZ hate speech that incites violence. That's just a you should have zero tolerance. Completely get rid of it. And then there's other kinds of hate speech that is essentially derived at suppressing people, mm-hmm. and that you should also get rid of. Now it gets blurrier because your ability to fully track that and distinguish between that and, and political discourse and, um, you know, like for example, when people post something about saying, here, I'm trying to argue like why hate speech is a problem and I'm posting this thing and then you look at my thing and you'd block it as hate speech, you know, like all of that sort of stuff. Now that doesn't mean, that's part of the reason I was going to kind of a report mechanism as I agree with you with a stated goal of saying well, these are the things that we're trying to get to and this is how we're, we're, we're iterating in that direction is I think is a good tool to think about in this, uh, in this arena. And I don't think um, it's possible to get to, look, human beings are messy. Uh, people do say insulting and inflammatory things um, and that will happen within a democracy and you know, kind of politics and so forth. However, what we should try to do is say, and this is part of the reason I was saying these are private businesses, is they can say, look, if you want to do this kind of, um, uh, of like, for example, racist hate speech and that kind of stuff, do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You can create your own social network for that. Right. <laughs> right. So why don't they do that? Um, well, I think... I mean, to me, let me make a business argument. Yeah. It's like broken glass in the suburbs. Yeah. Like, you cannot go on Twitter now and not feel yeah. bad immediately like it's a really interesting thing and I think their business is in and that's just reading Donald Trump's tweets but um, <laughs> yes. but, but it's really interesting because it ruins their business it yeah. becomes a thing where you don't feel good about it you don't feel like do you think about it that way I mean you're on a lot of these boards they consult with you do they think about like wow this could well, really hurt 
they, uh, I'm not an insider in these conversations at Facebook or Twitter, okay. right? And not, I'm not on neither board, just to be clear. I am I friends with Reddit in there and some of the others. Uh, I'm not on the Reddit board. I, need, I, I know Steve, and, and you know one of the things that's interesting, Steve, uh, I, I, my own proponent in these areas tends to be, um, uh, you know, real identity. Uh, as, as part of the network platform. And right. Steve's actually taught me a bunch about saying, well, there's places where anonymity is useful okay. in terms of being able to share certain kinds of experiences and so forth. And those, those are really precious and that happens on Reddit. And I was like, ah, that's interesting. Like I hadn't, mm -hmm. I'm such a proponent of real identities. I, I was, I'm kind of more of a student there. And I think that the, I think that, look, I think the short answer is now uh, what's happening is people are realizing that the, previous thing was, look, how do we establish this new medium? And now it's, how do we make it healthy? And um, I know enough of the folks that I know that they're at least thinking about it intensely. Are they moving as fast as we'd like? Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not an insider on it. Well, let's talk about making it healthy. Making yeah. it, because right now, it, do you, let me ask you just a basic question. Do you believe social media deserves the kind of attacks they're getting for amplifying the politics of destruction that are going on, the, the divisiveness in our country? Yes, as part of a dynamic process for improving it. I'm sorry, I don't even understand. Well, no, no. <laughs> so, look, the short answer is there's a lot of anti-technologist folks who go, look at that bad technology thing. That should be stopped, mm -hmm. right? That's not my approach. I actually am enough of a techno-optimist that I think you can shape it in a way mm -hmm. that's very positive. Now, the reason I'm positive on the attacks is I want to create a dynamic right. of, oh, shit, this is really important, okay, we're gonna do something about it. Mm -hmm. We're gonna start making you know, product managers whose metrics you know, are the right metrics in this. We're gonna start reporting it to the world about what we're thinking about doing and what we're doing and, and who we are and what we're about. And I think that will be the end result of the criticism. Can they shift their business plans? Because their business plans are about engagement. And you know, really, and you know, um, a lot of people have been talking about this issue of the addiction of it, the engagement of it. They, someone called it the slot machine of attention and what causes attention and pulling in is negative emotions, essentially. That's the best way to get people in. Or designing, they have dozens and dozens of people at Facebook making you push a button, like kind of thing, mm -hmm. well, why did you push that button? Is there a rethinking, an overall thinking of their business plans, or is it possible, given how much money they make from all this? Um, well, I think that's, again, something where you say, look, what are the other metrics that should be added in and maximized to? Obviously, they will focus on maximizing attention metrics for advertising. By the way, this whole discourse was, you know, 30 years ago with television, and maybe it's 40, you know, Marsha McLuhan and Neil Postman and so mm -hmm. forth. I mean, it's not new to say... It's not the same. It's amplified to the extreme at this point. Uh, um, well, not everybody had a television network. or. An well, but we, we went to a highly televised society. Right. It also influenced political elections, right? Absolutely. The, the Kennedy-Nixon side. And so I don't mean to state the parallels to, un, to discount the importance of working on it. Mm -hmm. I mean to, to simply say it's a, that we can figure out a good way of shifting the medium in, in, in what are, you know, real, but kind of like a, a, like a focused change. Because among other things, like for example, we all get addicted in various weird ways, but you know, our kids growing up, you know, learn the antibodies, right? Mm -hmm. Just like with television. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that I, I don't think it's as big as an issue as the as the drum roll of this is the end of the universe. I do think that it's an important thing to make modifications to. Okay, so talk about some of those modifications, because then I want to talk about where technology is going. Because mm -hmm. AR and VR will also you could either amplify it or 
make people more empathetic, and we'll talk about that. Um, so talk about some of the solutions in the here and now, what they should be doing. They're under siege over the Russia stuff. Um, they made their systems porous. They think they do still think of themselves as benign platforms. Yeah. I know, Reed, you don't think this, but yeah. I, I hear it all the time. Yeah. They feel like, well, we're doing good for the world. Yeah. Same thing with AI. It's all good. And they don't have a sense of, and they're, they're sort of offended when you say, maybe you have some responsibility in this, you know, or they feel hurt. Mostly it's hurt, yeah. sort of like delicate flower mentality. Uh -huh. um, and, and you have to go, you know, like, do you imagine they understand this now? And how do you get, what are some of the solutions you think Facebook should do, Twitter should do, Reddit should do? So I think, look, I think the reason. picking three of the most important. <laughs> um, I think the reasons that they respond is because they go, like you hear the, you terrible person, you're responsible for this terrible, shitty election result. And they go, well, Also, you're billionaires. <laughs> yes, right. that, probably so that too. Stop, <laughs> suck it up. Yeah, um, and, uh, and that kind of uh, attack does engage natural defensive reactions. Yeah. Like if I was attacked that way, I'd have a defensive reaction right. in the first blush as well. Um, I think the right way to actually have the conversation is to say, look, you're, you're super powerful. You have responsibilities for increasing the health of society. There are good things that you're doing. We think that there is good to have people more in touch with extended family and friends and what's going on with their lives and so forth and, and ha helps rebuild community. We love all that stuff. That's awesome. But you also need to figure out what to do to make sure that you know, the natural thing is to see the burning right. buildings and so other you know, negative impacts. Let's go to each of the platforms. What is the immediate thing they could do? Start with Facebook. Two immediate things they could do. Well, so like I'm not an insider, so I don't... I, you I as a user of it. Well, so I think... Well, okay, me as a user, I don't think they're going to do this, but I'd love it. Um, is I would actually love to see almost like uh, kind of counterpoints. Like here is the bubble you're in, and here is some highly published things that are outside the bubble, just to, a chance to, to get to see them. Because I'd love to see, I, I'd love to see more building of bridges across diversity and discourse lines in various ways, and I'd like to see something along that line. I didn't, I'm not saying I wouldn't see it, I just think it's such an oddly shaped feature, I don't know if that would be the mm -hmm. thing to do. I think the kinds of things they will be doing is saying, okay, how do we, Oh, here's something I think they could do, which is, okay, which are, like you say, vices and like anger, like, you know, one of the things I say partially as a joke when I'm talking to an MBA students is I invest in one or more of the seven deadly sins as part of investing in the consumer internet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. Your mom must be proud of that. Yes, very, very. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people, because people respond to negative emotions like this and they respond to positive emotions like this or some, some equivalent of that. Well, what I'd really love to see is say, okay, which positive emotions and which kinds of amplification of that can we do to create an overall mix? Study the results of the things we have and saying, look, we're just putting our, you know, kind of our pinky on the scale to just have to rebalance towards more of those because that's more of the society we want to be. It's more of the community we want. That would be the kind of thing I would actually really like them to do. All right. Uh, for me, for Facebook, is they get human editors and stop firing them because that would be good. That would be you know, their volume is huge, right? I, they could still, okay. they didn't have to fire all. Yes. Like that kind of thing. They, they have some human element to this because AI is certainly not going to. And by the way, we, I get it. I know. I get their we billions and billions but, of transactions. But, but you know, LinkedIn agrees because we do have. Yes, exactly. Know, right. You but can yes, do it. Like, there's just, a human yes, element. That's yeah. one thing that they really. And, and to pretend, to stop pretending they're not a media company because yeah. they're a media company, no matter how you slice it. Today's show is brought to you by HP, which has a new podcast they'd like to tell you about. 
What does machine learning have to do with autonomous driving? How do you build a powerful open source community? Will the cloud really consume the world? Tune in to Stack That, a new podcast from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, to dive into the world of emerging trends and learn how you can leverage this tech for the benefit of your business. Each week, our hosts Byron Reese of GigaOM and Florian Leibert of Mesosphere will tackle a new topic with the help of guests from Airbnb, Google, Confluent, and other industry experts. Check out Stack That on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and news.hpe.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Hey, I just got in from driving a brand new Tesla Roadster, too. No, you just didn't. Kidding. That's a big lie. Just big kidding. Lie. Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk to this week? You've already done the big reveal. Not as well as Elon did, but there you did it. <laughs> Speaking of, I'm also not wearing as cool of a jacket. Uh, we talked about Tesla, Tesla, with Tamara Warren from The Verge. She's the transportation editor at The Verge. Tamara, give us a 10-second rundown of what we need to know. Tesla Semi Roadster, here to change your life, maybe or not. <laughs> <laughs> battery. Battery, battery, battery. Power, power. Power. Jacket. Vroom, vroom. It was a really great discussion, and we hope you go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. Twitter. Uh, harder. Oh, big, long sigh. And I don't mean the business plan, because that's a whole No, no, no. It would be funny if you could do something that started with the president's account. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> um, uh, since uh, as a role model, it may be. Don't you wish like Jack would wake up one morning and go, you know what? He's off. <laughs> like, and just, I'm going to take it. Like the, the yeah. thing would be interesting. I don't, like, yes. He's it, crossed it, the like, line. In, in, my own, in, in my own politics, I agree with that. It is important. politics. Actually, different people are judged yeah. at different levels. Yeah. Whether they get kicked off of Twitter. Um, Maybe you should put a not safe for work brand on it or yeah. something. Right. The, um, the, uh, and so. What would you do at Twitter? Two things. So, well, I think what I would do is, well, I think the primary thing that's interesting is I think that uh, Twitter is hacked a bunch to hack the media because uh, journalists pay a lot more attention to Twitter. It's the medium that most naturally on, and that's part of the indirect thing. So I try to figure out how to essentially uh, slow down or stop that. I think I'd get much more aggressive on the anti-bot stuff mm -hmm. uh, and try to figure out how to, like for example, like is there a possibility that the tech companies can, um, can work together on identifying bots and say, yeah. we're just gonna get rid of those? Yeah. Um, I think also, um, I think a version of what I was saying, which is say, look, again, the natural, thing, but it's the same thing on television. You know, you show, you know, uh, the fire, you show the explosion, you show the catastrophe, mm -hmm. uh, because we, as humans, respond to yep. that more in mass, is say, look, how do you promote more uh, kind of positive connection? How do you promote more, oh, this was a, this was a great story of heroism or, com or of compassion or so And promote it further. And promote it further, yeah. put, put, um, put balance on the scale. Do you think they are doing, will do that? How do you assess? Because they're, they're influential even if they're, that shit crazy over there. They are. <laughs> um, I think that this is, this is in part an answer to your earlier question, which is one of the reasons why I actually appreciate the criticism that the industry is getting, is I think with a continued presence of that criticism, 
they will realize that their better outcome is to do that over time. They may be already doing it. Like I said, I'm not an insider in the conversation, so that may be, I may be saying something that's already in motion. Yeah, to me, immediately for Twitter, rules that are consistent, hmm. not haphazard, that hmm. seem haphazard, and probably a full-time CEO, I'm sorry. Like, you know what I mean? Like someone who's just dedicated, given the importance that it has, or, you know, the attention it gets. And as to the journalists, like, watching it, there, there are a lot more journalists, but everybody's on it. Every reaction to Charlottesville was on Twitter. It was for everybody reacted, which yes. I think is interesting. And that, you know, when you have all these people paying attention, and they are, that it has a, an outsized responsibility, you yes. know, and I think well, in a lot of ways. And the bots, I think you're 100% right. That's a really, I had, I, there was a, a friend of mine's a New York Times reporter was, was arguing with a bot, and I finally had to text him and say, you're arguing with a bot. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stand down. Yes. Someone in Russia. I don't yes. know who it is. Yes. Just, stop. I'd be a cyborg. Who knows? Yes. Stop. Yes. Don't argue with the bot. Yes. Okay, so Reddit, last one, and then we're going to talk about the future. Agree. So We've with, done a lot more. Sorry? It seems to have done a lot yes. more. No, I think Steve is actually attentive to these issues because he's actually one of the folks in the last few months that I've actually uh, had the opportunity to sit down and talk with about him. It's Steve Huffman, who's yeah. the CEO. And, um, and like I said, like I, I was initially like this anonymity thing. You know, this has to go. And he's like, no, no, it's really important for these things. And I was like, okay, uh, I hear you and I, I get it. That's like, you know, sharing experiences about like I'm not out and I want to talk to other people about it. And so that, that can be super important things to have. And so... Um, I guess what I would, it, it, it's the general tool that I've been thinking about the whole industry. So again, it's, it's not a new thing for Reddit, but again, it's kind of like, here, here, is a, here is the report card about how we're trying to make people more empathetic, uh, more compassionate in terms of their interactions and seeing diverse points of view and so forth. Here's our report card and here's how we're improving it as we go. Mm -hmm. That's roughly what I'd like to see. And then that would probably be implemented in a different way in Reddit. It could be like, for example, the, the, the ratio of kind of positive sentiment conversations to negative sentiment conversations, it mm -hmm. could be something like that. Yeah. They would have to decide themselves, like this is who we are, this is what we're about, and then these are the metrics that we're tracking against and we're being, uh, we're being open about those metrics so that you guys can help hold us accountable and in the discussion to are we uh, having the right impact on society. And presumably having a more diverse group yeah. of people working there yes, might be nice. Yes, but and that's part of the reason. Look, every tech company of any size should be doing the diversity measurements and reports and mm -hmm. saying, look, this is our goals, this is what we're improving. One quick question on diversity, because it's not it's about here today, but it does give you points of view. Um, why is it continued to be so astonishingly white guy, straight guy, white straight guy? Um, Boring white straight guy. <laughs> <laughs> Boring with not a capital you. B, yes. You're riveting. Uh, <laughs> um, or riveted. The, um, so I think Look, I think part of it, but I think that's one of the reasons we have to put our hands on the balance and shift it, is what happens is it starts with some ideas from some people who are kind of naturally friends. They hire the people they know. They get in this whirlwind tornado, which I call blitzscaling, and they tend to hire the people they know in terms of doing that. And that tends to create, and they just think, oh, culture is everything. We don't, we don't need this diversity. And like, no, no, actually, in fact, you need to create that culture from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the the kind of thing is to make sure that you have that kind of playbook. So like, I think one of the uh, good things that's coming about is most of the 
of the VCs that I know and like working with, not all of them, the species has some problems, mm -hmm. um, are like now asking, like, so like, what are you doing in diversity in your company? What are you doing in diversity in so your board? How are you doing? making it part of the investment. Making, yes, and, and making it part of the conversation from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to like, oh, by month three, you have to have done something. But it's just like, for example, when we do you know, partner recruiting, every single time we talk about it, we talk about like, well, how are we expanding our diversity in terms of doing that? And that's always present in the conversation. And mm -hmm. I think that at least puts you on the right path. Do you think it's gotten to, you know, a lot of, I've always noticed when I, when we talk about these things, when there's, especially boards where there's mm -hmm. plenty of choices, yep. of a diver, you can get plenty of diverse choices, um, that the, they only use the word standards when it comes to women and people of color, only. You know what I mean? Really? It's never, they, really they don't. The word standards never comes up in other, like, remember when Twitter now. had the, the, yes. the 10 white guys, the yes. same 10 white guys, and the same <laughs> names, they all had the same names. Um, and, and they, of course, drove it right into a wall, yeah. and I was like, where were the standards for these idiots? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was interesting, but they often say, well, we have standards and stuff like that. Does that oh, so they use standards as a disqualifier? Yes, yes, oh, yes, because we don't want to just That's, have a woman. I'm like, oh, yeah. why not? Like, well, and, well, look, I mean, it, the, like, it's idiotsville to say that there aren't women who meet the standards. Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, I think what's interesting, and I've always said this, is that they think it's a mirror, they think it's a meritocracy, which yeah. they go on and on, and it's a meritocracy. Yes. Really. Like, that's a good line. <laughs> I, I may borrow that line. You may okay. borrow it. Okay. You may borrow it. Um, <laughs> last thing we're going to talk about is the future. So a lot of the technologies that are coming out really are immersive. Do you think it's already immersive? The stuff that's coming out, especially around VR and AR, and I'm gonna move those together because I think they kind of are together. Um, someone was just talking about the idea of having someone in the alt-right watch what it's like to be persecuted mm. or be on the other end of yep. it or a cop with a head thing on in the feelings of a poor black kid mm -hmm. being pursued yep. or something like that. Now, I don't think you can I don't think you can VR your way into empathy in any way, and you can't have the life experiences of that person so you could feel what it's like all your life, um, or and anyone who's been persecuted in any way. Do you imagine that there's some ways we can use VR, AR, a lot of these new technologies coming, or well, until I we get to the shot where we have the empathy shot? Or I think we can certainly do it within at least the corporate context, because, for example, one of the things that, um, and I may have this exactly right, but one of the examples I heard that was really interesting is part of the New York Police Department training is in induction and early training is they have two of the white officers kind of uh, pushing two of the black officers up uh, against the wall with guns and they say, what's that? That's an arrest. And then they reverse it and it says, what that says, robbery. And they use that in order to, uh, to try to explode these biases and actually really get a sense of understand what's going on, see people for who they are, understand that you have biases that you need to correct against. Mm -hmm. And I could see actually both VR and AR being very helpful mm -hmm. in kind of that kind of induction. Like for example, let's say, like right now, it's super important to do the, uh, the, the anti-sexual harassment training, mm -hmm. but you can imagine it'd be a whole lot better if, if it actually hits you more emotionally and you mm -hmm. understood what the other side felt like, because of course part of the problem with, you know, uh, white straight guys is they usually just don't know, well, is that insulting? And you're like, yeah. yes, yes yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, and so, and so getting- Sometimes every man in Silicon Valley feels like my 15 year old son, yeah. but go ahead. Yes. Uh, well, we're all trying to grow up at some point. Yeah, um, hurry up. Yes, so, fair enough. Um, and so, um, and so, but, I, but part of the, the, I think the, the hope in these technologies is more of a visceral experience because 
It's once you begin to realize how it's heard, how it actually feels like disrespect, how it feels like assault, mm -hmm. and that's actually how it feels, then that's the beginning by which you can begin to understand that stuff. And for me, um, you know, my growing up from being a teenager was at Stanford. They had all kinds of classes on this. And I went to some of these classes and it was literally eye-opening. I was like, oh God, people do that? And oh, of course you hear it this way. Like, that was actually important. I think we need that broader within society. And one of the things about technology is allow scale. Is there any technology you think that could solve this problem? You're the big technologist. <laughs> so solve uh, within the messiness of human beings, no. Improve, yes. Unless AI and the machines take over and just kill us all, right? I'm not sure that's an improvement. <laughs> it could be. Uh, could I, be. I think very unlikely. Um, I mean, I think, look, part of the whole thing within AI and tech is to try to say, uh, what is the design goal that's essentially symbiotic? And like, for example, one of the things that's interesting when you begin thinking about, uh, for example, uh, AI tutors or AI work is how does that also try to improve compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. Because we know that's our better selves, and that's the thing we want the whole society to head towards. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is, as we create these, you know, kind of uh, high-powered technologies, how in, in interaction does it help us bring out our better selves? I think that should be part of the design goal. Right for how we're looking at it. And that's part of the reason why I started thinking about like, okay, what should the companies be reporting on? It was like, okay, how am I actually uh, uh, having a good theory of improving compassion and empathy? And how am I tracking against that? Is actually, in fact, would be a good contribution. All right, I wish Reed Hoffman was running every Silicon Valley <laughs> company, but unfortunately he's not. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Reid Hoffman for joining me on stage and to the Anti-Defamation League for hosting us at their event, Never Is Now. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. We also have several other podcasts you should check out. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. Lauren Good and I host Too Embarrassed to Ask. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Cadence 13, the company that distributes the show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thanks to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. What does machine learning have to do with autonomous driving? How do you build a powerful open source community? Will the cloud really consume the world? Tune in to Stack That, a new podcast from Hewlett Packard Enterprise to dive into the world of emerging trends and learn how you can leverage this tech for the benefit of your business. Each week, our hosts Byron Reese of GigaOM and Florian Leibert of Mesosphere will tackle a new topic with the help of guests from Airbnb, Google, Confluent, and other industry experts. Check out Stack That on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and news.hpe.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes.